Thank you so much, Jane and Garrett and Riley, for leading us in worship this morning. Church, would you please open up your copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 1 with me. We're going to be looking at verses 16b through verse 20. Galatians chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. And what we're going to see in God's Word, what Paul is going to reveal to us, is we should be willing to suffer. We should be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I love Netflix. Anyone like Netflix or Hulu or streaming services? Anyone ever binge watch something before? My favorite category of shows is like crime and police and all that stuff. And um, I got my law degree from Netflix. So if I, what I tell you right now, I, just telling you I heard it on TV, okay? But there's this thing called the chain of custody. If you have evidence in a crime... And if that evidence isn't documented properly, if that evidence doesn't go on and you don't have a chain of custody of where that evidence has taken place, who has hold that evidence, who's carried it, where is it stored, how long was it stored there, then it's not true. Basically, whatever the crime is against that person can come back in, hey, the murder weapon or if you remember the game Clue, like the candlestick in the library, right? Those things, if you don't have a chain of custody for them, then you don't have a case. And so what's taking place in Galatians is Paul is preaching to the church of Galatia. He's saying, I'm shocked because you guys have run away from the gospel. You guys understand the gospel. And now you're going back to the religious law. And there's divisive people who are influential in the church of Galatia. And what they're doing is they're accusing Paul of not getting this message from man. Or sorry, not getting this message from God, but getting this message from God. And so they're saying, again, I want to clarify, hey, you just got this message from the disciples. You're not an apostle. You don't have the authority to say what you're saying here. And this is what those people inside the church who are trying to stir up for their own self-pride and interest within the congregation are accusing Paul of. And so what we're going to look at today and even next week is the chain of custody of Paul's conversion and how he didn't immediately consult with anyone but he went to go preach the gospel. And so we're going to see, Paul's going to say, I didn't go ask the disciples for permission to what God told me to do. God told me to go do it. And so that's exactly what I did. Remember, the accusation against Paul is he went and he's just repeating what he heard from the disciples. And Paul wants to clarify, I didn't hear this from man. I heard it from God. God himself revealed himself to me, which gives him the qualification of an apostle. Let's pray and we'll study God's word. Father, this morning as we come into your sanctuary, Father, so such a blessing that it is to gather with your people and to worship. Father, we lift up those who are struggling in our community with illness. Father, we lift up those in our community that are listening on the radio right now. Father, we just pray healing over our community. And Father, as we study God's word together, Father, we pray that we would be passionate about the faith, the gospel that saves, the power of salvation is given only through the gospel. And so, Father, may we be willing to stand up for godly things. 
May we even be willing to suffer for godly things. It's in your name, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. It's important to also understand some context of Galatians. As Paul is talking, and he's sharing the chain of custody, he doesn't go into his struggles of the chain of custody. He doesn't explain exactly all the hardships that he had to endure. But let's understand exactly what Paul was coming to. Paul was a Jewish individual who believed in the Old Testament. He's persecuting the church. In fact, his testimony is when he came to know Jesus on the way to Damascus, he was going to murder more Christians. But God intervened. God saved him. And so now he goes to Damascus to preach the gospel. And so when he's talking to the church at Galatia, if he goes in to the church and he says, hey, I struggled with this and these people tried to kill me and these people tried to murder me. And you're like, yeah, Paul, you killed my cousin and now you're preaching to us. Like, what exactly is going on here? I don't care about your quote unquote struggles. Right. And so Paul wants to make sure that doesn't get in the way. But we're going to look at that this morning just for wider context of exactly what Paul went through and how we, too, should take struggling for the gospel seriously. But Paul's preaching to a group of people that struggled. He would murder some of their family members and now he's preaching to them. Again, the church of Galatia was negatively impacted by influential people attempting to discredit Paul's ministry and his message by accusing him of getting this message from the disciples rather than getting this message from God. And so we stopped in the middle of verse 16 last week, and so I'm going to pick it up in verse 16 and 17, if you can follow along in your copy of God's Word. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So what we see in verse 16 and 17 is Paul's ministry journey was in question. The church of Galatia is asking him, what's the chain of custody? Where have you been for the last X amount of years? Now you're coming back here. Did you just get this message from the disciples or what? I want to again ask you to turn just a page over or... Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read this again for us. It says, Paul, an apostle not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so what's happening, happening in the church of Galatia, it's very easy for us to do. It's very easily for our hearts to wrongfully accuse people. Could you imagine, hey... Paul, listen, you, you're coming and you're preaching this gospel, but you just persecuted our family members because they believed it. What exactly is your motive here? Are you just trying to get a whole bunch of people to now believe in this so that your friends can come and hurt us or whatever? It's hard in the flesh for us not to question some people's intent for ministry, especially Paul's intent for ministry to the church. Are you just trying to gather all of us up together so that your friends could come and murder us? What exactly is going on, Paul? Are you testing us? Is this like, hey, I got you. You guys are really Christians, so now we're going to murder you because of it. And so they're questioning this. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Paul's first thought after his conversion, after God spoke to him on the way to Damascus, after he was called to ministry, again, was not to get approval from the other apostles. 
He says, no, God told me to go into Damascus. He told me to preach to the Gentiles. He told me to preach to the Greeks. And so that is exactly what I did. And then in verse 17, he says this crazy thing. And as, as I'm studying this, let me just tell you, this was a joy to study this week. He says, I went into Arabia. Arabia, as Paul's writing this, is the desert. Modern day, today, this would be Saudi Arabia. Okay, but the desert. Why in the world would Paul say, at this time, it's not Saudi Arabia. It's just a desert outside of the walls, the city walls of Damascus. Why did you go to Arabia? Like, if you're trying to prove your case of how you did it, then why in the world did you go in the desert for some three years? And so he says, well, actually, I was in Damascus. And we see this account in Acts, which Mr. Lee read for us this morning. And then I also want you to write down in the margin next to verse 17, if you could write down 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 30 through 33. And there we're going to see some more of this story that unfolds, but for the sake of time, we won't read it if you want to do that later on. But Paul is proving to the Jews in Damascus that Jesus is the Messiah. He's preaching, he's planning this church. There are people in Damascus getting saved because of this. In fact, we also know that there's someone named Barnabas, who is witnessing this ministry, one of the disciples is, is witnessing this ministry and how it's influential and it's growing so much so that it disrupted the whole city. How cool would that? I just want us to pause for a moment and think, how cool would it if our faith disrupted the whole city? It's like, wait a second, we got to address those Christians. And so there's this king by the name of King Aratus. I might pronounce his name wrong. Please give me some grace there. But we see that in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 11. But this king goes on and the religious people go to this king and they say, hey, there's this guy named Paul who is causing a distress among even families. There's these religious people and now he's getting a whole bunch of people called Christians to be passionate about their faith. And so what we need to do is we need to arrest Paul. Another helpful information for us to know this morning is Damascus was walled in. There was a wall built around the city of Damascus, and there was what we would call a city gate. And so if you wanted to go in or out of Damascus, you had to go through the city gate. And so this king, he said, you know what, I don't really think that Paul's doing anything wrong, but to keep the peace, commentary said similar way that Pilate kept the peace when he ordered the crucifixion of Jesus. Right? He wiped his hands clean of it. But this king, in order to keep the peace, in order to gain political agenda among those that he was serving, he goes and he says, all right, you can have the military, you can do this. And so the military goes on and they build these groups around the walls and around the city gate and they're looking to murder Paul. They're looking to capture Paul, to charge him. Paul hears of this. His disciples, the Christians, hear of this. And what they do is they climb this wall in Damascus. They get a rope and they get a basket and they put Paul in it, maybe even some supplies and food and drink. And they raise him up over this wall so that the military can't capture Paul. And then he goes into Arabia. And again, 
when he's preaching to the church at Galatia, they weren't concerned about his struggles. But all he says here in Galatians chapter 1 is, I went into Arabia. But we know he didn't just go into Arabia. He was in Damascus preaching the gospel. He was being persecuted. He was suffering for the fruitfulness of the gospel. So then his friends put him in a basket and wheel him over the wall into a desert for him to just go and hide. And then he'd come back into Damascus. I love this. He, he would go into Damascus and back into Arabia. Whenever the guards would stop looking for him, he'd come back in, he'd preach the gospel. Could you imagine at this point, like if you're Paul, if you're Paul, you're like, you know what? I didn't have the disciples' approval, but now maybe I should go get their approval. That way there's more people that are on my side. That way the people that are trying to kill me know that, hey, I'm with a whole bunch of other people. He doesn't do that. He goes back into the fire. He says that his life is not even worthy to be compared to the faith and the opportunity that these people could experience. Could you imagine if we suffered like that today? Just, hey, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to lay down my life so that one person could know Jesus. And just like the church of Galatia isn't necessarily concerned about Paul's struggles because of, like, it's hard to compare them. Could you imagine if we compared our struggles with Paul or any of the other apostles in heaven who all of them except one were murdered because of their faith? I mean, just for a moment, let's lay aside some theological uh, ideas that we have about if we'll be able to have conversations or know people, but let's just say for the sake of illustration, we go up to Paul in heaven one day and we were like, hey, Paul, listen, I really wanted to share the gospel at my school, but I was worried that my teacher would make fun of me. Hey, I really wanted to share the gospel with that person at the gas station, but you know what? I didn't know what was going to take place. Our suffering is so small compared to the suffering of our forefathers. And the great cloud of witnesses that are among us. May we be faithful to suffer for the gospel. As Paul is doing that here. And then again he says that he returned to Damascus. Paul returned to a group of people that wanted to kill him. Again because their faith was more important than his life. Check this out. All it says here in Galatians is he went away to Arabia. He went away and then he went up over the wall. Through this basket that the disciples made. Into the desert just to spend time with Jesus. Until his life was no longer in danger. And then he went back into the danger. I think it's amazing. Again, Paul did not seek permission from the disciples before he went back into Damascus to preach the gospel. Because it is what God told him to do. And church, may we learn from this that there may be a season of our lives that God uses evil. There may be a season of our lives that God uses hardships or struggles or sufferings to help us grow in our relationship with him. I'm going to say that again. There may be a season of our lives that God uses evil to help us grow in our relationship with him. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. 
but saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Paul never stopped learning about the Messiah. If you recall some of Paul's former testimony that we've studied over the last couple of weeks, he was the chief priest among the Jewish religion. He knew the Old Testament like crazy. He knew the religious laws and customs. And now he comes into an opportunity to learn more about Jesus. Paul never stopped learning about Jesus. Let me tell you, we can follow church. Listen very closely. We can follow religion our whole lives. And never follow Jesus. We can go to church our whole life. And not have a relationship with Jesus. In fact, when Jesus is talking and he says, um, hey, here, tell me all the things that you can do to inherit the kingdom and why should I let you into heaven? And I'm paraphrasing here in Matthew, but a priest, a pastor says, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast demons out in your name? Did I not do this? And Jesus's response to him is depart from me because I never knew you. It doesn't matter what your title is in the church. It doesn't matter how long you've attended church. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you cannot go to heaven. But God, listen, I tithed to the church. But God, listen, I went to Sunday school every week. I never even missed a Sunday. That's religion. That's not a relationship with Jesus. And so Paul, when he understands this, he never stops learning about who Christ is also want us to understand that proper doctrine and theology is important in the teaching and proclaiming of the word of God. And so as Paul is sharing where he's been, his ministry journey, he goes on and he has a 15-day sabbatical. He has a 15-day pastor's conference. He has a 15-day opportunity to go to the apostles, to go to Cephas, who we know as Peter, the first pastor, the first priest of the universal church. And he says, hey, I want to make sure that our theology is correct. I want to make sure that what we have going on and what we're teaching to God's people is the same thing. And so Peter's there and James, the Lord's brother, is there as well. And they're having these theological conversations. And we'll see in the, few, in the next couple weeks or months because we'll actually... A little announcement here. We'll take a break from Galatians and then pick it up back in uh, January or February. But we're going to see this conversation and these arguments that even these pastors theologically are having with one another. But it's important as he's preaching the gospel. And this again, this gentleman named Barnabas, he comes who is well known in Jerusalem, who is a disciple of Jesus, and he vouches for Paul. And he says, hey, Peter, I want you to know that Paul is with me. In fact, I've witnessed Paul's ministry and the sacrifices that he's made in Damascus. Man, his testimony, you're not going to believe it. It will save souls, man. And so he comes and he again advocates for Paul and his ministry. And so he sits down with Peter and he sits down with James to have these theological conversations for 15 days. I think it's amazing. Sometimes we forget this. And Jesus grew up in a separated family. And today, 
a lot of us are growing up in a separated family where a mom and a dad, maybe we have like four parents, two and a half or whatever it is. That's just sort of the cards that we've been dealt because of the brokenness of the world. But listen to this. I want you to know that Jesus sympathizes with you because how in the world was James here a brother of Jesus? Who's his stepbrother? And so if you would, would you write down in your margin of next to verse 19, Matthew chapter 13, verses 55 through 56. And so here we have James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and it even mentions some sisters that Jesus had. And so all of this that's going on, he says, I, I just want us to understand this for a moment that Jesus grew up in a blended family. Joseph was not his biological dad. Right? Who is Jesus' biological dad? Ladder. God was. Right? And so we believe this Christmas story, this miracle that took place. God himself sent his one and only son to be born through a virgin whose name was Mary. And so he, again has these step-siblings. He's not concerned. James, it, it's called here by Paul, an apostle. And you're like, wait a second. Why, why would James be called an apostle? He's not considered one of the apostles that we think of, or that we name if we're naming the apostles. The last couple of weeks, I've shared with you how Paul is an apostle, and then now Paul is calling James an apostle. He was referred an apostle and he was respected as such as a senior pastor at a church and the fruitfulness from his ministry. And he meets the biblical qualifications how he spent time with Jesus before and after Jesus' death. But it's, it's pretty interesting here that James, too, is considered an apostle. If you would also in your margins... Next to verse 19, write down Acts chapter 9, verse 27. And this is where we get the information about Barnabas and how he was able to go and advocate for Paul there. And then in verse 20, Paul again is talking to the church of Galatia. And he says, I don't lie. I'm telling the truth. In fact, I want to put it on God that everything I am saying this morning is true. That's what Paul is saying. The same gospel that Paul is preaching is the same. Check out the name dropping here. I love name dropping. Have you ever like known someone famous and you're like, hey, yeah, I hung out with that person. That's what Paul's doing here. Hey, I hung out with the first person that ever planted a church. His name was Peter. In fact, in Matthew, God went and he said, I'm going to build my church upon this rock who is Peter. And in fact, if that's not good enough for you, he name drops again. Jesus' brother, James. I hung out with him too, and we talked about theological stuff. And he says, the same gospel that I'm preaching to you, Church of Galatia, is the same gospel that Peter preaches. It's the same gospel that Jane preaches. And I also want to put it before you that it's the same gospel that Gila Valley preaches. The gospel that saves. A Christian rapper... He poses a question. He says, let's just say that Christianity is false. 
I've wasted my whole life. But if Christianity is true, he goes on to say that I've wasted all of eternity. Paul's saying, I don't lie. If the gospel is true, then we should be willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. If the gospel is true, and it's really the power of salvation to both the Jew and the Gentile, then as Romans 1.16 says, we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Now we present the gospel to other people. What if we suffer? What if we suffer? But if this is true, then because of our suffering, people would be able to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And so I'm going to ask our band to come forward this morning. As we have a time of invitation. And I understand that all of us have a past. All of us have scars in our past. But Christ's scars prove that we have a future. All of you have a testimony. But what Christ has done on the cross for you and for I proved that we have a future. And so may we be willing to suffer and maybe even take on more scars for the sake of the scars that Jesus took for us. And so dear Christian... Would you be passionate enough about your faith? Are you willing to suffer for your faith? From this day forward. If you don't know Jesus this morning, then would you come and experience Jesus? And the free gift. That is not a religion-based message. That is not a message that was made by man, but was a message that was from God himself. Not one that you can earn. Not one, in fact, that you even deserve. But it's by grace of a loving God and through your faith in Him. Would you come this morning and accept your relationship with the God that saves?